Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the topic of today's show is the significance of mercy. And with me is my good friend and brother in Christ, Tom Bixler. In this podcast, Tom and I will define mercy, explore the nature of merciful forgiveness, talk about various ways mercy is manifested, and show how to do a heart check. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks, Ray. It's good to be here. And folks, I'd like to preface that we're going to be using the New Living Translation and the New King James Version for the podcast today. But as always, I encourage you to use whichever translation of the word works best for you in your studies. So in regards to mercy, let's take a look at Matthew 5, verse 7, where the word says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is mercy? Well, mercy comes from the heart. It's a genuine love with consideration for others without conditions. Mercy cannot exist without true love, and mercy cannot be understood without first defining love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul defined love. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, it's always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Then there is also Romans 12, which further highlights for us as believers how we are to love, have mercy, and keep doing what's right, regardless of how others may do things. We have to remember we are each accountable. Starting with Romans 12, verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. That is, caring for others, thanking them, encouraging them. You know, mannerisms are ways of demonstrating our care. Many of these are values that we were raised up with as children, and as children of God, we need to be sure we are putting them into practice among other Christians. Continuing on in Romans 12, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Yes, Ray. And also in the present time, when there's so much that's good that's being called evil and so much that's evil being called good, it's clear that love can be twisted and misunderstood. Love underlines mercy. Without love, there's no mercy. But mercy has forms of its own, as illustrated further in Romans 12, verses 14 through 21, when we understand that, that we are commanded to bless those who persecute us, not to curse them, pray that God will bless them, be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep, live in harmony with each other, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, in other words, and don't think you know it all. Also, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord, not us. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap 
burning coals of shame on their heads. So says scripture. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And so at this time, there's frequent temptation to latch out, to seek recompense, to demand justice, often through what I'll call a slash and burn spirit. We need to recognize this for what it is. It can be our undoing, and it's a terrible dark trap. Yeah, and one of the enemy's tactics, especially now, is to get us caught up in strife and worry. You know, the dividing tactics are clearly at work. And when this happens, we forget at times the basic instructions the Lord gives us, and mercy is a big one. You know, as Christians, as all being part of the body of Christ, we each have a role to play. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And then when we move on to verses 25 through 26, still in 1 Corinthians 12, this makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So as that body, which has different parts, we are to continue to show mercy, which is defined by love, as I quoted from 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 12 just a bit ago. You know, the Apostle Peter told us in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 10, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And then going on to verse 8, and I put emphasis on verse 8, most important of all. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the Lord forgives many sins by the blood. They're covered by the blood, but we all sin unknowingly at times and don't even realize sometimes we're doing it. And that's why having mercy and love in your heart when serving others as serving God, that's why it covers a multitude of sins. Going further on in verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So what that means is that as members of the same body, we all have different gifts to serve one another, but that these gifts are not effective if we do not have the love of Jesus in our hearts. The greatest of them all is love, which mercy stems from. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. If I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And remember from earlier, 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So you can do many good deeds, but if they are self-serving, they are wrong. Love is the foundation of all things in Christ. And without us being an example that Christ was to us, we are dead in anything else we do. Yes, and so let's try to further put our finger on mercy. What is it really? What's the nature of mercy? What are the byproducts of mercy? Well, Mercy occurs in the heart and in the spirit. It's ephemeral, thus, it's of the spirit. You can't capture mercy in a jar. The byproducts of mercy are often seen most readily in good works. 
that there are many shades or various manifestations of mercy. Mercy, in essence, is a mystery because it comes from God. Mercy can be shown through discipline, through sound instruction, through good advice and sound counsel, through the seeming smallest of actions, or maybe by refraining from damaging rebukes and harshness, or even by allowing another to maintain his or her public or private dignity. Mercy has many forms, but it's always good. Another thing about mercy is that it isn't mere kindness or common hospitality. When you go on a cruise or dine in a restaurant, you're showing hospitality and even kindness, but you're a paying customer. It's a business deal. Mercy is richer and deeper. Its implications and effects reach much further. It can't be purchased because it has no price. And it's not always polite, politically correct, or warm and fuzzy feeling. Let's consider mercy versus indifference. Indifference to the suffering of others is always accompanied by some degree of knowledge. Indifference is not ignorance or simple unawareness. Indifference is a sign that we must do what I call a heart check, because the heart, in that case, is spiritually ill. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Just wanted to throw that in there. That's from uh, Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. Yes, right. And, and finally, mercy is always an act of some kind, mind, spirit, and or works. Actually, all of these three things working together. Mercy requires will or intent. Mercy can be spontaneous, but it's done only with a willing spirit. Mercy can't operate where it's not invited, and it can't operate without love. Thus, willful indifference or cruelty would be at the opposite end of the spectrum, where love is absent. Amen. And forgiveness is an act of mercy not only toward another, but toward oneself. You know, forgiving others as the Lord forgives our many sins. I mean, think about all the sins we never think about, yet the Lord has been merciful to us. Colossians 3 Verse 12 through 15, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That's exactly right. And so what does the Lord tell us we have to do? Well, we have to humbly acknowledge our inherent sinful nature. This makes us justifiably relatable to others when we do this. This allows for testimony, teaching, and healing. Anyone who says they're without sin is not being genuine. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. You know, folks, that's, that's serious. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, as it is written, 
there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, here's another thing we have to do. We have to meet people where they are. This involves, at the very least, active listening, patience, forbearance, compassion, and tolerance. This is not easy, but the rewards are enormous. Then let's consider that accepting an apology with grace is at the foundation of genuine forgiveness. Love, once again, provides a foundation. Unforgiveness is unlove. It's bitterness and pride. And let's not forget to warn about how love in modern American culture and public sentiment is a poor shadow of what love really is. Real love is not defined as romance or a sexual relationship that masquerades as love. And then one more point here. Let's consider that none of us has the authority to demand forgiveness. We cannot change another's heart or their will without their permission. But instead, we can allow our own hearts to change and grow and heal. We can allow the Holy Spirit to indwell us. This is what becomes outwardly visible through our words and actions towards others. Mercy naturally flows from this. Right, and so how can we be merciful to others? Well, we can find solid instruction about being merciful to others in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, and in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, where we're instructed of our behavior and forgiving others. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well of all evil types of behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Yes, right. And, you know, we don't realize how our unmerciful behavior can make us look like hypocrites or just like the Pharisees. Christians, if they're not vigilant, can fall into some bad patterns and practices. So let's consider, for example, the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery. Jesus' rebukes and admonitions are found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We all know the gist of this story, but, you know, Jesus had returned from the Mount of Olives, and he was back again at the temple, and a crowd gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers, or the Pharisees, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Well, they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they couldn't use, that, that they could use against him. But, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He kept demanding an answer. They kept demanding an answer, rather. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And, you know, when the accusers heard this, they, they slipped away one by one beginning with, with the eldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman who had been accused. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? They had all gone. They had all gone away. They scattered. They couldn't hold up under Jesus's rebuke. And he said, didn't even one of them condemn you? And her answer to him was, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Right, and you'll note that Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery, and the lesson there is to have mercy and forgive. Because if you're a leading example, it puts others to shame, and that's why they left one by one. 
Another example is when it came to the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Peter asked Jesus how many times we should forgive. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him, and him being the Lord, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So, you know, nobody keeps track of how many times they forgive. The point is, keep forgiving, because there's no harm in forgiving. I mean, forgiveness ties in with being merciful. Yes, it does. And so what are some examples of being unmerciful? Discernment and constructive identification of wrong is not lack of mercy. But these things are sure signs of an unmerciful spirit. Things such as wrong attitudes concerning sickness, addictions, and other human weaknesses. This is unjust judgment without authority to judge. This too often grows from ignorance. Such things thrive in darkness. They're abominations. Another thing, wrong attitudes concerning others' misfortunes. At the very least, this involves cognitive dissonance. At worst, this can be indicative of a hardened heart. It's always an ugly thing. Here's another thing. Wrong attitudes concerning others' evident or suspected sinfulness. Again, this is unjust judgment without authority to judge. Often done in ignorance or worse, mean-spiritedness. Mean-spiritedness is another terrible abomination. And then here's, here's a big one. Gossiping, great or small, is always malicious. It always causes harm. Think about it. It's never innocent. This is why the Lord abhors it. The gossip and the merciful are never one in spirit. The gossip on one hand, rather, and the merciful on the other hand, uh, you know, are never one in spirit. A gossip by nature is without mercy. This spirit is extremely seductive and deceptive. Amen. I agree. Yes. And all of these things are of no use to the Lord. They don't serve the kingdom of God. And they're responsible for untold suffering and strife in the world. In our walk as Christians, they must go. In Scripture, from the book of Matthew, we're, we're told. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Don't judge others, and you won't be judged. You'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. That, that's a very sobering verse. And then we see in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not to offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those know that they are sinners. So what's a good remedy for this? Well, do a heart check. Here's how. You know, gentle words and soft hearts need not ever serve to compromise the Lord's standards of holiness. At the beginning of this podcast, there's an excellent resource that can be found at an external link that Ray has provided. 
So go ahead and check that out. But really, um, in essence, you know, as we find in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Amen. And some powerful heart check questions to consider as they relate to scripture are, am I relying on Jesus alone to get into heaven? You know, there's some scripture based on that. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, verses 8 through 9. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And acting on that word that we preach. That is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now another heart check question. Do I tell the truth? Leviticus 19, verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Another heart check question. Do I gossip? Proverbs 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. James 1, verse 26 If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You know, another heart check question. Do I care more about what others think or what God thinks instead? You should only be concerned, really, that God is pleased with you in the way you serve him. Galatians 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Yes, and Ray, I'd like to mention some additional heart check questions. Sure. Another one is, am I kind toward others? In Colossians 3.12, we're told, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Another question we, we need to ask ourselves, am I generous or do I hoard my money? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Another heart check question. Do I help those in need? Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 45 says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. To contrast further in James 2, verses 14 through 17, 
What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And then finally, you know, you see by faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Yet another heart check question, am I self-focused? Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 addresses this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Here's another one. Am I keeping a record in my mind of the wrongs other has, others have done to me? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. That is a huge one. Here's another one. Have I forgiven those who have hurt or wronged me? Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is serious. It is a serious one. Yet another question. Is there anyone whose forgiveness I need to seek? Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 addresses this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there on the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Right. And in other words, it's resolving your differences among another Christian and forgiving them before coming before God to pray. And it doesn't mean just forgiving them. Don't just tell someone what they want to hear. It means truly forgiving from the heart. And, you know, a final question to consider here would be, do I have a critical judgmental spirit or am I judging others? Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5, and Tom, I believe you had uh, read that earlier. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And you know, Ray, at this point, I would like to just recap all of these questions. I mean, this is really, this is a big deal here to ask one these questions we've gone over. I'm just going to repeat each one of them. Amen. And in it fact, is. they come they come from that link that, that we shared at the beginning of the podcast. And there are many more questions that go with it. But here they are. Am I relying on Jesus alone to get into heaven? Do I tell the truth? Do I gossip? Do I care more what others think about me or what God thinks? Am I kind toward others? Am I generous or do I hoard my money? Do I help those in need? Am I self-focused? Am I keeping a record in my mind of the wrongs others have done to me? Have I forgiven those who have hurt or wronged me? Is there anyone whose forgiveness I need to ask? And finally, do I have a critical, judgmental spirit, or am I judging others? Those really are true, true, important questions we need to be asking ourselves. And if we don't, then we risk being indifferent to each other. You know, we need to remember that we've all sinned and transgressed. 
And hence, we're absolutely commanded to be merciful to others as Christ has shown mercy to us. You know, let's consider Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Yes, and it's only by grace that we're saved. We can't save ourselves, and we can't save anyone else. All we can do is what the Lord tells us to do. Amen. And looking further into Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And both of these verses tie into what we said in the beginning, that without faith your works are dead. You know, you're doing what's righteous as a servant for Christ, not by your own accord. And some verses I would like to quote in closing. Philippians 4, verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. James 3.13 If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And, you know, we need to remember to always take to prayer any situation when we're unsure what to do and when we need the Lord's grace and wisdom to get through it. Hebrews 4.16 So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Those verses quoted, brothers and sisters, I'm going to close it out here for this week. And it's my prayer that this podcast has been a blessing to you today. Keep your focus on Jesus and continue doing what is righteous and merciful. Continue to help and support those in need. And don't be afraid to relate to them and lift them up. You know, Tom and I, we recognize the times, are, they're, they're tough out there. But, you know, we need to keep on our running shoes of endurance and continue to do what the Lord instructs us to do in our remaining time left here on earth. Brother Tom, I want to give thanks that you are here today for the listeners. Thank you, Ray, and you're welcome. And brothers and sisters, I know that we covered a lot of verses here today. And as always, those are going to be up um, on the blog post for this podcast on the Innocence Redeemed uh, blog site, as well as the link that Tom had uh, spoke of earlier. Take care of yourselves out there. Jesus bless you. And until next time, have a great week.